0: Welcome to The Fully Lived Life, a podcast for those who are longing to pursue the full life and want to break free from anything that holds them back. Listen in as two friends, a psychologist, Dr. Mary, and a life coach, Jillian, talk about life, love, and purpose through the lens of faith, science, psychology, and life experiences.
1: Hello, Mary. Hey, Jillian. You're looking lovely today. Well,
0: thank you. I think it's the sun coming in through the window.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that sun is a good thing. I know. Oh, you know, this whole, when the time changes, that is the thing that I grieve the most, Mm. is the light in the morning. I know. Light in the morning gets me going. Yeah. Especially because I have to walk my dog. Mm -hmm. He now has to wear this little flashing light on his collar. Oh, because it's that dark? So dark. Ah.
0: Yeah, I know. So we
1: digress. We digress. We're loving the sun coming through the window right yeah. now, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. So um, we've been we've been doing some pretty deep work over the last while, listeners. You will agree with us on mm-hmm. that. And today we're talking about shame resiliency, which those two words together give me hope. Yes, because I got to tell you, the word shame makes me want to crawl under my skin. Well, it makes you feel shamey. I know. Yeah. So shame resiliency is this great, like, you know, one-two punch. Yeah. So that's what we're talking about today. Mm -hmm. And you're leading the talk on this today because this is an area that you are doing a lot of reading about, a Mm -hmm. lot of research on, because it's part of your journey.
0: It is very much part of my journey. I mean, as a two on the Enneagram, shame, it feels sometimes like it's a part of my identity. Mm. And it's so hard to separate it. And uh, we have talked about this before in a previous podcast that we did last year, our last season on self-compassion. It's number 14. For those of you who haven't listened to it, it's worth listening to. But it's such a significant issue because uh, it underlies Almost all of our human junk. I know it's it's been called the master emotion um, because uh, it is the thing that is so insidious and underground, but controls so many of us. Wow. Um, You know, from like the really obvious things. Like you know, people will look at angry others who are abusive and kind of go, "It's just because you're a mean person," and maybe that's part of it. But a big part of it, it's shame that drives them. And you know how we might blame others or um, rationalize it or just get all defensive. I mean, that's all shame. Mm. So the thing, okay, so shame is like the master emotion that underlies so much of our bad stuff, but it is probably the thing that we most run away from. Like we just don't even like to face it or admit it. And So how can we actually get better? Exactly. If it's the thing that is so foundational. Yes. Yet we're running from it. We're running from it. Ugh. I mean, it's it integrated into so much of how we do life, from our relationships, our work, um our marriages, even our parenting. And yeah, if we don't admit it, we can't deal with it. And if we can't admit it, then we can't develop shame resiliency. No. So I think the thing to remember is that 100% of us experience shame. That it is a part of the human condition Mm -hmm. and that if we don't name it, then we aren't going to be able to deal with it. And the thing with shame, because shame is very sneaky, it can show up in more what I call micro moments. It's not like an obvious thing. You know, there's those experiences where um, you feel humiliated. Right. And so you know that what you're feeling is shame. Uh, or somebody calls you out and it's so unfair and you know you're, you've you been shamed. But uh, most of the time it kind of hides in all of the day-to-day interactions that we have and we don't realize it. Um, it's the part that makes us feel unworthy, unlovable. Somehow we're flawed. Oh. Somehow we're, it makes us feel small. Oh. Isn't that like, so of course, why would we want to acknowledge that? Because it's just such vulnerable, scary, uncomfortable place to be. It's a dark place to be. It can be a very dark place to yeah. be. But again, resiliency is about being able to acknowledge it and become stronger as a result of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I can tell you, as somebody who's been working on shame for a long time for myself, it is so worth it. It makes such a big difference. So just to give you a little bit of the science behind shame, like I always like to do in my science. Yes, yeah, and so we love it. Yeah. So it's actually part of our survival system in our brain. Um, In fact, one of the most important ones, because if you remember, we are created to be in connection. We're created to be relational beings. So it's our system's way of warning us when there is a possibility of abandonment. And, um, you know, I, I think it's important regardless of what number you are in the enneagram to recognize that the need to be loved and to belong is an innate human need. Yeah, of course. I think we can all I think so that. too. And I think shame is the uh, shame is the emotion that warns us when that's being threatened. Mm-hmm. Um but when shame gets triggered in our brain, it actually physically can feel painful. It's it's the part of the brain that gets triggered when we feel even physical pain, so it just Highly uncomfortable. Wow. And we don't want to do that. But the problem with unacknowledged shame, as we've said before, is what it actually does is leads us to act in ways that uh, can create more likelihood of abandonment happening. So oh, goodness. You got the two sort of like withdraw yep. from people who love you and can care for you or the attack, which also I gotcha. gets people on the defensive. And so then it completely disrupts our connection with others. And it it... it it can hurt our sense of belonging and of being loved. And that's where you, like you said, it can be in such a you know, dark place as a result. And I have memories of many situations where I've crawled into my little cave and mm-hmm. sat in that shame and like mucked around in it. And I just could not break free because of that tendency I have to withdraw. Well, and
1: are you ever going to how are you ever going to get to the healthy side if you're doing the things that just add more and more shame to you? Exactly. Right? So when you said that, like it's doing, shame is actually doing the thing that drives
0: more shame. Yeah, exactly. Like that should be a big wake-up call for all of us. Mm -hmm. Wow. And think about it, for me, having done a lifetime of the shame experience and then shaming behavior that reinforces shame. Like, can you f- understand how trapped I felt? Of in course. That? And until I was able to go, oh my goodness, that's shame. And I do not want to be held captive to shame anymore. That's when I started to see the light. I mean, I'm telling you, it's still ongoing hard work. Of course. But it's so worth it. And um, for those of you who are Christians, um, shame uh, started way back when Adam and Eve Uh, first were in the garden. And if you remember, when they took a bite of the apple, the very first thing they did is they went and hid. And that's what shame does. Shame says, shoot, you're bad. You've messed up. You are like flawed. You are beyond help. You better go hide. Yeah. And so they did that. And unfortunately, when they did that, that took them away from the very person, God, who could heal them and restore them. And that's often actually what keeps people away from God, especially if you were raised in any sort of religious background where uh, they use a lot of fear and shame to control your behavior. Yeah. Then, and that's how you're, what you're projecting to God. I mean, that's certainly my story. Yeah. And that kept me away from God's grace and his love for a long time because I felt like uh, I was not good enough. And why even bother trying? Yeah, I remember
1: reading a book a number of years ago called Mud in the Masterpiece. Mm. And it was just like, whoa,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I've grown up with a theology that's, that reinforces shame.
0: Right. Well, we call it uh, worm theology, right? There's yeah. a name for it. Exactly. Where you're the lowest of the low. And so you're even like, consider yourself lucky that God would save you. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's not good theology. It, it, no, and it's because it just breeds more shame. It breeds. More it doesn't shame. breed hope or grace. Right. Only love has any any opportunity to shame uh, to shine a light on shame and to to disperse it. Right. So it, for me personally, it it led me to this performance treadmill as a Christian. Like I kept on having to um, do everything to earn his favor, and of course I couldn't. Right. Because shame kept on telling me I couldn't, and it kept telling me I was messing up. Um, so that's from a sort of biblical, historical um, background. Well, for all of us, the thing with shame, remember what I said, shame is a um, survival right. re- response of our yes. brain. So think about it. Shame actually enters each of our lives at a very, very young age, even pre-verbal. You know, that very first time when you were like, I don't know, 16 months, 18 months old, and you reached out for that cookie and you were told no. right then right away, shame is the emotion that comes. You feel bad that I, I was a bad kid. What did I do wrong? Right. And it can happen in a very early age. And it often is even nonverbal cues, um, with whether it's a parent's body language, uh, whether it's how they responded angrily or not. But it's that this sort of felt message of disapproval, like yeah. somehow I did something wrong. Yeah. And it's not something that the Child has the ability to even rationally kind of go, oh, well, that's just because I shouldn't have a cookie because I have dinner waiting for me. Or mom's just mad at me because she's had a bad day. I mean, if we could do that, then maybe we wouldn't let shame become such an integrated part of ourselves. That's right. Yeah. So um, shame resilience uh, is acknowledging that it exists and that um, it's something that I can bear and that I can grow through it. Um, so, so
1: if you can, if you can go to the acknowledgement of the shame, right. Some of maybe even thinking about the roots of that shame, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you can hope, right. You can, you have to be willing to go there first right? in order to move to resiliency. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's a um, very brave thing to do. Yeah. Well, it is brave and also freeing. I mean, yes. it is like the work that uh, has been most transformative for me. Yeah, uh, I've learned to identify how shame feels in my body because mm. it comes rapid, really quick, even before my rational mind kicks in. So I feel it like a, this, this wave that passes through my body. I feel a tightness in my throat and it settles kind of in this in the pit of my stomach. Yeah. And I think the best way I could describe it would be dread. Yes, yes. That's how I feel it. Um, So part of, uh, you know, just to share um, my dealing with shame recently, uh, just a couple nights ago, I was tossing and turning in bed. And (laughs) this is what I tend to do, especially on sleepless nights. I was going over in my mind a a conversation I had with a friend and I was woulda, coulda, shoulding myself because it was was a, a... a a tough conversation in that there was some honest dialogue going back and forth. uh, And I was kind of going into, is she mad at me? What does she think? Did I hurt her? Uh, Did I make her feel bad? And right away that feeling started to kind of rise up in my body. And the good thing is I was able to recognize it and then I actually chose to go through the emotional tunnel and process it pretty quickly. Yeah, Um, And processing it when you're feeling a strong emotion like shame doesn't mean that you have to rationally think it all through and understand it, because frankly, that would have taken me all night. Of course. Um, But for me to process it was just simply to acknowledge it and then to breathe through it. And I use uh, the four, six, eight breathing technique where you breathe in for four, hold it for six beats, and then you breathe out for eight. And um, I use like breath prayers that are like four beats, six beats, eight beats. So like four beats would be like, Jesus loves me. Just truths that really helped me. And so as I was breathing the six, four, six, eight with the thought breath prayers, I could start to feel the tension leave my body. And then I was able to go to sleep. Wow. Yeah. And the next day when I woke up, I kind of reflected back on it and I had so much better perspective on that, when I wasn't kind of all enwrapped in that shame feeling. Yeah. The perspective being that, yeah, it was a tough conversation. It was a great one. It was hard for all of us, both of us. Um, it uh, Did I handle it perfectly? No, but um, it is a, a step forward in a, a really good direction.
1: Well, that's really good because you, in previous episodes, you've talked to us, and we even mentioned this in the last episode, Um, About this real time tracking with yourself Mm -hmm. and to be able to catch yourself. Right. Right. Yeah. And be able to acknowledge what's going on Mm -hmm. and then figure out a way how to stop that tunnel from getting darker. Yeah. Like you're not going to get out of the tunnel probably that night. Mm -hmm. I I do the same thing. You know, it's usually three o'clock in the morning for me where I'm awake and I'm mulling over things and it's getting ugly. Mm -hmm. And I actually have to get out of bed, Mm -hmm. go to another room in the house, make a cup of tea or something to get myself out of the thought process Right. so that I can come at it rationally
0: later on. Right. And I think if you can also understand what underlies shame, shame is fear of abandonment, fear of rejection, fear of losing a loved one's esteem. Right. If you realize that, in my conversation in my head, the person that I was having a conversation with, she loves me. Right. We've gone through so much together. There's no way that there's going to be any rejection that comes out of it. And even if she does, I recognize it might come out of her own stuff. And I'm just interpreting it as rejection when really it's just her being upset or whatever it might yes. be. Yes. Right? So... Um, yeah, so the, like that's so key. Like I, I can't speak it enough out of how important it is for people to deal with shame resiliency. Okay. So how do we develop shame resiliency? Right, so we're going to combine today
1: the therapeutic tip and the life coaching tips because this is so foundational, as yeah. you said, Yeah. and it goes at such a deep level, but also is that response going on in our brain that we want to come at it really strategically. Right. So lead us through this.
0: Yeah. So I would say there's sort of three big aspects of developing shame resiliency. And the first one being that you acknowledge that shame is a universal human experience and 100% of us experience it. But more specifically for each of you, where does shame show up in your life? Yeah. Remembering that the less you talk about shame, the more actually shame is in control of your life, so it's so critical. Um, we'll we'll throw up some links of um, uh, different people who've spoken about this. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jerome Wagner uh, is a psychologist who does a fair bit of work on the Enneagram, and he I like how he's oriented around the um, the the different numbers. Okay. So He talks about and he 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 kind of talks about three different actions. And the three different actions are based on a psychologist from before, Karen Horny. And it's either with shame, we either move away, move towards, or move against. Oh, wow. that's Well, that goes with our previous episode. That's right. For yeah, sure. That's right. So the Enneagram numbers who tend to move away would be Enneagram 5, 9, and 4s. Mm-hmm. So they tend to withdraw, to hide, to silence themselves, to kind yep. of hold things secretly. So they tend to move away. Now, um, move towards tends to be Enneagram twos, sixes, and sevens, where they seek to appease and to please. Uh, I know. Oh, yes. I know. And then the move against. Uh, well, guess who? I know, moi. As Miss Piggy would say, moi? Yes. So Enneagram 8, 3, and 1. And they move against uh, by trying to gain power over others. Uh, and they all use aggression or even shaming back.
1: I know. It's just I don't want to even look at this. I know.
0: Yeah. Why are we even talking about this? Yeah, okay. Because you're showing shame your resilience by your willingness to own it. <laughs> so what question would you ask in this for this uh, section here? Well, um, how do you
1: protect yourself when shame gets triggered? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, do you withdraw? Mm -hmm. Do you try and make up really quickly with the person to get their pleasure back? Yes. Um, Or do you, you know, get back at someone? Yeah. So think of a specific recent example to help you identify your self-protective moves. Oh, man, this hits home because I was just telling you about a difference of opinion that my hubby and I had the other day. Oh, yes. Tell me more. No, I'm not going to tell you more. (laughs) Some things are in the vault. Okay, okay. <laughs> but I'm seeing both how he reacted
0: and how I reacted. Interesting. And how did you interpret each other's actions too? Well, you'd have to ask him that. Uh huh. Um, but don't you think that uh, if I think about my my tendencies to move towards, yes, and Peter's is to move away, right? So when which he, which is funny because he
1: actually is a six. So uh, I think w- he does both. Yeah, because for me, it's like, let's get it over with. Yeah. For him, it's like, run the other way. Right. So I'm just chasing him around the house, basically.
0: <laughs> oh, I can not imagine a, that. Not in a good okay. way. Not in a
1: good way, <laughs> all folks. Right, all
0: right, all right, My mind went down a different road. I know. I had to stop you. <laughs> um, all that to say is, uh, I know for the longest time, I interpreted his tendency to withdraw or become quiet uh, as rejection. Right. Which just reinforces those feelings of shame. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So number one is acknowledging that shame is universal and identifying how it shows up in your life. Okay. Well, number two, once you've identified it, is to move through it constructively while holding on to your self worth and authenticity. Now, oh. this, I'm which just- is what you did the other night. Oh, thank you. It, it, you just modeled it for us. Mm. Thank you. You were the lab rat. Okay. <laughs> <On> your- <laughs> What's my name again? I know you're Stella. I I'm think that was like Arnold or something. Arnold. It was some. I can't remember. a random name. Anyway. Anyway. Um, so when you, moving, moving can it constructively. So don't just stay stuck going around and around and around in a circle. And I would say this is um, five different actions around it. Like, okay. One, recognize your triggers. And by the way, we're going to put this all in the show notes. Oh, or I know just what take my triggers rapid are men. notes. Yeah. Yeah. Can you share?
1: Well, one is feeling manipulated.
0: <gasps> yes.
1: Right. That's a big one for me.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, go ahead. Number two, practice critical awareness. And what I mean by that is, like, examine, once you get triggered and there's thoughts flooding through your mind, examine reality. Like, is this actually true, what you're thinking? And if you're a Christian, examine it against the truth of scripture. Like, is this really true? So, one, recognize your triggers. Two, practice critical awareness by reality checking. Three, accept our imperfections you know i i don't mean this in a cheesy way but it's really true we you know part of our ability to show compassion to ourselves and others is to accept our limitations as humans yeah accept our imperfections and even almost embrace them because that's actually gives us a bigger space a bigger heart to love others well you know
1: i remember so well something that um you know, we've taught in corporate training is that mm-hmm. when we're te- teaching around mental health stuff, mm-hmm. we say that nobody gets up in the morning wanting to piss you off. Right. Right? Yeah. They're pretty much doing the best they can with what they've got available to them that day. Mm-hmm. And if I think of that for another person, can I also think about that for myself?
0: Exactly. Exactly. It's true. We don't get up in the morning, want to mess up people's lives. No, I've got really good intentions when I get up in the morning. We sure do. We sure do. So accept our imperfections. And number four, reach out and share your stories with people you trust and acknowledge your shame with trusted people. So yeah. it's great that you're doing this processing if you're following along with us and you're kind of doing it for yourself. But like at some point, you've got to reach out to safe others and share it because when you bring it out into the light, that is the surest way to dispel shame. It really is. And listeners, for
1: for you listening, both of us have done that. Yeah. And we brought the stuff out to the light of day. And there's just such freedom afterwards.
0: Some of my most healing moments is when I said some really dark things to my close friends. Yeah. And when you've just shown me grace and love, man, like it's, it just like, it's like a weight off it my really shoulders. It really is. It really is. And then the last is just to ask for what you need. Oh. So like in that case, it was asking for you just to listen and to pray for me. And to hold me accountable too, like that was really important. Mm-hmm.
1: And for me, as an you know, as an eight, um, going to my husband as a nine, mm-hmm. I will often just say to him, "I don't need you to fix this. I yeah. just need you to
0: hear me." Yeah, exactly. So freeing for him it is. It is, and that's that's what we need. That person to hear our story isn't about fixing it. No, it's just about be, being present with That's us. right. So, what would be the question to ask for this? Um, um well number one I mean we all
1: want to know that person who we could call to help you work through your shame tunnel yeah so um I remember years ago um we had a situation that happened in our school Mm -hmm. when my kids were in school where one of their teachers um was charged with uh of being a sexual predator. Oh, dear. And um, I had worked with this particular teacher. My kids both had this particular teacher. And I remember taking my, then he was probably about, he would be in grade eight at the time, mm-hmm. maybe grade nine. And I took my son down to the basement and I said to him, if this particular teacher had ever done anything inappropriate to him or said anything inappropriate or messaged him or whatever it was, who would he feel comfortable talking to aside from mom or dad?
0: Mm-hmm. mm
1: And it was a way of me acknowledging that if something had happened, right. there could be a lot of ownership and shame around it. Right. And we might not be the best people to talk to at that time. Right. Wow. So who would you go to? Like mm-hmm. You know, and we should all have someone in our life Mm -hmm. where we could go to when we are in that shame tunnel.
0: Well, I love the example that you share, because shame, by the way, isn't just our own actions. It can be things done to us. Of course. But then we interpret it that somehow we deserved it or somehow we made it happen. Um, And abuse can do that. Um, But I love how you gave your son permission to have people other than you as that safe person, because... You know, safety isn't based on roles. No, it's not. So for a given situation, uh, I may not be the safest person for my husband to go to. No. And it's okay. That's right. It's not a betrayal of our relationship. It's about his safety as he works through his shame tunnel. That's correct. Right? So important. Okay, so the last part. So first of all, member, acknowledge that shame is in universal and identify how it shows up. Number two, move through it constructively while maintaining self-worth and re- and authenticity. And number three, um, grow in our courage and compassion as a oh, result yeah. of our experience. And I, I had to add this because that's just... Um, Th- that's the light at the end of the tunnel. There's it is. growth. It really is. And for you and I, like there's just such, like you and I, we've talked about this before. We've experienced it as we've dealt with the icky stuff in our lives. There's been such freedom. Yes. So, and, and by the way, courage is going to look different for everyone. Uh, for me, my courage is to acknowledge my hurt and not run from it. Right. And, and mine <laughs> is to acknowledge my hurt and not hurt back. Yes.
1: Not ooh, Eights have a lot of revenge fantasies. Does you know that? <laughs>
0: Well, you know, as I'm leaning. Like, into my you, healthy you can imagine line,
1: if that if my son had ever said that that oh,
0: teaches like that oh, would be it. Yes. Uh-huh. There would not
1: be there would not be a trial. It would be my trial. <laughs> it would be your trial. Yes, exactly. It would be my trial. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah, so like this is about your growth of courage. Yes. And and leaning into compassion for yourself and others. So yeah. with that in mind,
1: what, what would be the question? What
0: is the most courageous
1: thing you can do for yourself when you feel hurt?
0: <sighs> yes. What is the most courageous thing you can do for yourself when you feel hurt? And that often will be the hard thing to do, the vulnerable thing to do. Oh, And it may be just simply the hard thing for you right now is to acknowledge that you're feeling shame. That's right. Or it could be that it's to share it with somebody else. Mm. Um, and, you know, we've talked about
1: this before. Mm-hmm. Because um, because my eight, of course, it's a fear of vulnerability, but I'm at the point now where from a healthy eight perspective, with my girlfriends, I can say, I'm kind of in a dark place right now, Mm -hmm. and I'm in the processing of it. It's very raw. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I'm letting you know that. Right. There's nothing else to be done at the moment. Right. So by being vulnerable with you and just giving you the high, you know, 15,000 level, Mm -hmm. foot level, what's going on with me, you know.
0: Right. Otherwise... You might not know. Right. Well, you're pretty good at hiding it. Oh, I'm excellent at hiding I know. So am I, to be honest. Yeah, we all yeah. are. Yeah. So that, that, whatever is the courageous thing for you to do, because people, if we can develop shame resiliency. Oh, gosh. Like, think about the things that can change in our life and therefore what comes out of our lives. Our Our parenting can be transformed. Our marriages, our ministry, our work. My goodness, community so significant. Even how we react to some of the tough stuff that's happening out in the world today, and you know, don't get me started. But like a lot of it is shame based, and that reactivity, and that name calling, and that blaming, and this defensiveness, and all that stuff going on—that's shame, people. Yeah, it's just just, it plays out in such uh, insidious ways. Yeah, let's like like let's deal with it.
1: So there's a lot of hope in that because, Mm -hmm. again, it's the one-two punch, the shame, but then the resiliency. And you and I have said this before, um, resiliency is going to be the word of the decade. Yeah. It really would, because we are going to have to get more and more resilient with life and with ourselves. Right. Amen. All right. All
0: right. Thanks for tuning in. That was good. Thank you, Mary. Thanks for listening to the Fully Lived Life Podcast. We hope you found it encouraging and helpful. Be sure to follow or subscribe so that you never miss a new episode. And if you enjoyed our show, please help spread the word by sharing with your friends and family and posting on your social media. Thanks for listening and tune in to our next episode.